Everybody, thank you for listening to the Pentecostals of Louisville podcast today. This is taken from our most recent service. If you find it to be a blessing, would you share it with somebody that you know would be blessed by it as well? You can find us on Facebook if you simply type in the Pentecostals of Louisville and on Instagram if you type in the same. Our service times are Sunday at 11 o'clock and Wednesday at 7 o'clock. And if you've never joined us in person for service before, we'd love to see you there. God bless you. is already strong in this place and so I believe that the word intermingles with the spirit sometimes we act like they're contrary that the word is intellectual it's it's knowledge is fact and the spirit is we move and flex our muscles and feel God but the word and the spirit are meant to work together to bring lifelong change that lasts beyond this moment if you open your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 17 I'm gonna read verses 29 through 30. Now, I just, I just want to warn you. The last couple sermons that, that, that have been preached, I did not know what dad or pastor was going to preach last Sunday. He asked me to preach before church. I wrote down my title. And then he preached a sermon. And I went, oh, no. And then he didn't tell me he was going to preach about Wednesday. I didn't know. And he preached my sermon. I have been intellectually pure. So please do not think that we teamed up on y'all. I believe that he started a nail and God has wanted me to smack that nail as far as I can into our hearts. I'm probably about to embarrass myself because I don't know if I've ever preached more passionately, more crazy about a word. And you're going to think this sermon is the one you get hyped about. This sermon is the one that makes me lose my mind. I believe. I've even asked the singers Do not even sing at altar call, just for music. Because I believe when this is done, that everybody will know God in a way like you've never known God. I still believe in breakthroughs, where the Word gets in you and something happens around you. I still believe that moments matter, that you got to respond. And everybody, you thought you knew God before this Sunday. You thought you understood God's power until this Sunday. But everybody will know God in a new way today. Jesus name. Paul is walking in Athens and he sees all these statues that are defined and they're all the gods of different things. The Greeks worship pagan gods. There's the god of the sun and and the stars, the god of of hills and valleys. And and he sees an altar to an unknown god. And he begins to preach a sermon that we'll cover shortly. But he says this verse to the Athenians. Acts 
Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination. Everybody say imagination. An image formed by the art and the imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. What he was doing was he was giving them knowledge to shape how they viewed this unknown God. Because they were afraid if we missed somebody, we would die. So let's make this gap, and we'll call this gap faith. We don't have to know anything about this God and know how to live for this God. But if we acknowledge this God, maybe we'll have grace. Acknowledging God is not faith. Saying there is a God is not faith. But Paul began to speak truth. And when faith and truth come into form, then you have real faith. They had belief, but he gave word and then they had a picture. That is faith. They would appreciate you on the topic to the unknown God. To the unknown God. Would you lift your hands with me as you're seated? God, we thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. We thank you for speaking to us, shape us, and mold us, and change us. Let us understand you today. Let us know you today. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church says, Amen. You may be seated. You would think that you'd want to know about a God that is real. Paul began to say, there is a God. He's the God of all this. These statues over here are not real. This is the guy. Because they, they knew. Why make a, a gap? Why say that there is something more if you have all your gods? Because when Paul preaches, he says that, that this is the God of everything. Well, that contradicts them, makes them uncomfortable. Because they had the God of wind and fire and all these things. But then he says, he's the God that's close to all of us. He even quotes their own scholars and says that in him we move and live and have our being. That's not from scripture. That's from a, a Christian. He's quoting their own ideas. Then he says that we are all his offspring. Some pagan wrote that because they knew there's something beyond me. And God said, this is the God that lets you breathe every day. This is the God in which you even move. He's telling them that whether you're saved or not saved, this God has blessed you. Whether you're redeemed or not redeemed, this God is moving upon you. Sometimes we try to tell people, my God becomes amazing when he saves you. No, no, no. My God is already amazing whether you're saved or not. Because the reason your heart beats and your lungs expand and we don't crash into the sun is because there's a God that's near to all of us that's already blessing us. You need to be saved. But don't you start thanking God after you become saved the fact that you're here means that God is wonderful the God of everything he's the God of heaven and earth and he's close to all of us he says not just not just the saved the unsaved that closeness though messes us up because there are people all across this nation worshiping God, but they don't know God. They have an idea. They have a concept of faith, but they don't really know God. But they feel God. You can feel God and not know God. Did you know that? You can feel God, but not know God. He was saying you feel it moving. You feel it pulling. Your emotions are being used. But that doesn't mean you know him. You have to obey him. You have to let the word shape your image of this God. Being moved by God does not mean you know God. He's near to all of us. So that means you don't have to question what someone felt in another domination. 
They repented. They're worshiping. They're reaching. They feel God moved. They felt God. He's near to the center. Everybody feels him. Doesn't mean you know him yet. You felt God. Hallelujah. Thank you that he did that in your life. But now let me help you know God. I'm not questioning what you felt. But let me show you how to know him. I'm not questioning the tears. But let me show you how to know him. It's been real, Jack. But now let's go forth the full knowledge. But they did not like that. They were not satisfied. They were uncomfortable. They got angry with Paul. Because people like to keep their question mark kind of God. Because a God that is a question mark, a God with no parameters, he said, do not make any graven images of me. Because he knew if you define me, you're going to mess this up. Faith, our idea of faith is an imagination thing where we shape God by wishful thinkings. We shape God by hopes and dreams. That is not faith. Faith is the word tangled up with the spirit that speaks a shape, an image, an identity in my spirit, my mind. That is God. You see, they built a golden calf and said, behold, the God that led us out of Egypt. They worshiped with passion. They, they, they had emotion. They did all the sacrifices. They lost their mind. And God did not say, well, I mean, they don't really know me, but they have the worship. They don't really know me, but they're saying that I'm out there. They just view me wrong. So I will let their ignorance be a kind of faith that gives them grace. God said, no, no, no. Don't say that you have faith when you reach to me and you feel me, but you don't view me right. Because if you don't see me right, you can't walk with me right or know me. They, had, they had checked all the boxes, but they had an ambiguous God. Here's the good thing about having an ambiguous God. I get to shape that God. I get to move him where I want to move him. I become God's puppet master. And when I hurt and I break like everybody else, I ignorantly, unwillfully, I begin to make God do things he doesn't want to do in my mind. A God that is okay with sin. Listen, the Bible offers its own condolences. You don't have to make it up for yourself. We have all felt this happen. Good, God-fearing, baptized people. And something painful happens, like a lost loved one. You knew they repented, but they didn't become born again of the water spirit. And we have all heard a good meaning person in truth say, maybe he's such a loving God that maybe it can work out. That is not faith. Unless you're born of the water and of the spirit, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. One way, one Lord, one baptism, one holy, one God. Faith is not a blanket that you wrap your mind around to console you. It is the word applied. Yeah. David, David had a child die. He didn't make stuff up. He was, he was breaking and fasting when the child was dying. But when the child died, they said, David, why are you worshiping now? He said, I can't bring him back, but I'm going to go to him. That child wasn't circumcised yet. That child wasn't redeemed yet. But David knew for whatever reason, God had mercy on a child that never made a choice of right and wrong yet. I'm telling you, if you go to the scriptures, you will find peace. You don't have to make it up. Search this book. See more of God, and he will console your pain. Don't make him up. Don't use a false faith. Ambiguity is not faith. Ambiguity bring, brings a false sense of unity. The world is, the more we learn about science, the more we don't know. Isn't that amazing? The more we learn, the less we know. The more we learn about morality, the less we know about morality as a country. 
It's, you feel it tearing at the seams. No absolutes. And the modern Christian movement is falling to this already. Ambiguous. It's this, it's this emotional. It's this ambiguous. There's no doctrines anymore. No, no denominations anymore. It's just this worship set that has a 10-minute sermon and you feel God. When I was designing this slide, I said, how do, you, how do you design a representation of an unknown God if you don't know God? It's a vapor without form, with no identity, with no standards. This is how the world views God right now. And it is creeping into our own movement. The less certain you are about holiness, the more you can fellowship with other people. The less certain you are about baptism and all these things, the more unity you have. Because you're not rubbing against anybody else. And it's so tempting because we all want to get along. But somebody has to stop it and say, faith is not saying that God will do everything you want. Faith is the word applied in my life. I'm sorry we don't get along, but my God is shaped. He is formed. He is defined. He is real. He is not ambiguous. God does not give grace for ignorance. God does not give grace for ignorance. He said to the Gentile, Paul began to preach, and he said, listen, no man is without, no man has an excuse. For God put in all of us an awareness to seek him. But we exchange that to worship his images of his creation and not his image. Then he says that there are people, Gentiles, that did not have the law of Moses, but they obeyed the law without knowing it. That truth was ingrained inside of them. And he was saying that it became a law unto itself. They didn't know it, but they didn't say, listen, nobody's preached to me. Nobody's evangelized me. They still sought God, and they found God. He said the Jew that has the law is judged by the law. But the person without the law is judged without the law. He's saying there is no excuse for ignorance. You can't say, well, I didn't know. I just put faith in the gap like a spiritual spray foam that will overcome my ignorance. That is not faith. Let me repeat that because I, I was really excited about that line. <laughs> Faith is not a spiritual spray foam. That I spray into an incomplete image of God. Because you know it's not going to last. The image will teeter or totter or fall apart. But I don't know faith. Shh. Hold. Listen. If we only got to keep the word that our movement prayed from and read and preached about, God would only let us keep Genesis, Matthew, Acts, a little bit of Corinthians, a little bit of Revelation. But why did he give us 66 books? Why are there hundreds of prophets preaching it? If you want to see God right, don't stop. There's more to the picture. If you want to view God right, he gave it all of it. He said not one word, not one shot, not one tittle will pass away. For all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. We have a five-book kind of God, but he gave us 66 books. The arrogance that we think we can do everything right and only work with five. It is progressive revelation. You start from the front, and you go to the back, and it builds, and it flows, and it gets more clear, and it gets more defined. It is living. It is breathing. It is sharper than a two-edged sword. Jesus. I got to go. I'm going to preach way too long. Y'all got me too hyped up. God uses certain words to teach about faith. God didn't just say here, faith. He taught a Bible study to the Jews. 
And if we read it, we can track that Bible study. He used other words to describe faith, like, like here. In the Old Testament, for English, if you say here, I've already preached this, so you, yeah, just stay, stay with me. Here, in English, it says you simply perceive, to take in information. But to hear God biblically, it's the word Shema, which means to perceive it and obey it. That obedience is applied. You haven't heard God until you obey what he's spoken to you. That's why he said, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Hear my commandments. He didn't say, write them, note them, know them. He said, know them in obedience, know them in change. You haven't heard God yet until you've obeyed the word. So how much have we heard? If I haven't applied it yet, I haven't heard it. Then he uses a word called abide. John 15, abide. Abide means connected to and changed by. He said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, connected to, changed by it. Whatever you ask of me, I'll give to you. We like to cut that off and say, whatever you ask of me, I'll give you. No, no. He said, if you are connected to me and you're being changed by me, and if you're connected to my word and being changed by my word, whatever you ask, I'll give to you. Meaning, if you let me shape your mind, you'll want my will. If you let me shape your heart, you'll, you won't ask wrong. If you let me mold you, then whatever you say, I will give to you because I've already changed you. You can't acknowledge me. you got to become more like me. Faith is not acknowledging. Faith is seeing and obeying. For faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It didn't say that the substance is what you don't have yet, and the evidence is what's not seen. It said faith is the substance of what you don't have yet, and faith is the evidence of what you don't see yet. The substance is seen. The evidence is seen. The Bible is the evidence. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. I did not know salvation, but I saw it through the evidence of his scripture. And one day, I didn't even think it could happen, but I prayed and I sought, and the unseen became seen because I believed in the evidence. And one day, I haven't seen Jesus yet, but if I keep holding on to this evidence, one day I'll see a heaven I have not seen yet and a Savior's face that I have not seen yet. The evidence is not invisible. The evidence is right here. It has substance. It's not vaporous. When you believe what God shows you long enough, you begin to see what you haven't seen yet. Faith has an evidence. Faith has a substance. Then he, he introduces a word called knowledge. He said there are those that are ever learning but never come to the knowledge. How do you learn but not know? Because the Bible, like every other word, has a, a obedience clause implied. Ever learning about me but never knowing me. How do you not know me? Here's how. Ever wonder why the Bible gets kind of cute when it describes people having babies? Bear with me. I'm, I have a baby, okay? Bear with me. It said, and Jacob knew his wife. And Isaac knew his wife. And you know they weren't chatting. You knew that they were birthing something. God was teaching a concept. He was showing them that to know me is not to say hi to me. To know me is not to acknowledge me. To know me has a communion that bursts life in you. He said there are people ever learning but never know the word. He is the bridegroom and I am the bride. And to know him, I can't say there you are. I have to reach for him and obey him and get involved with him and life will flow out of me. He told the lady at the well. That out of your belly shall flow rivers living water. If you drink of this, the spirit. 
He didn't say over there will flow it. He didn't say out of your hands will flow it. He said out of your belly. It was a birthing term because he was telling them, when you know me, a peace you never had will come out of you. If you let my spirit inside of you, I will conceive change within you. To know God does not mean you see God. To know God means you obey God. James said faith without works is dead. It means it's not real. Belief is what you have. But when you, your belief gets a hold of the word and your feet get in sync with what you believe, all of a sudden you have faith. For Noah had faith. I know he preached on this. I promise you I didn't know. For Noah had faith. He had belief. God said, I'm going to save you. Nice. That's good, God. Nice. Okay, but I'm giving you the word. I'm giving you design. I'm giving you measurements. And God is very specific, not ambiguous, not a, here's a window. I, I want anything between a canoe and a yacht. Anything will work. No, no, no. He had dimensions. He had the wood picked out. He was specific with Noah. Noah had belief. But then when he began to build the ark, he had faith. And then when the doors began to shut and the rain began to fall, Noah had a realization. It doesn't matter how scared I get. Now my faith is holding me. The storm is shaking me, but I'm saving my faith. You go from having faith to faith having you when you know God. A lot of us have faith, but when your obedience lets faith have you, then you know God when accountability can hold you and consecration can protect you. You got to go from having it to letting it have you. It's hard to undo something that's born. You can run away and say, I don't want a relationship. But when there's birth involved, things never go back to the same. Every parent knows responsibility, life done. You're different. And when God births a ministry, he births freedom. It's harder to abandon what God has birthed in your life. You can say, God, let's date. Let's just chat. It's easy to walk away. You have faith. But when God changes you for real, it's hard to abandon all the stuff you've done with God, all the freedom, all the witnessing, everything you know. You can't walk away from something that's been born. Let me teach you a little Bible study. Here's how you become to know God. If you were saved and if you're going to be saved, here's how you know God. Peter said in Acts 21, 2, 21, he said, Joel said that all that call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. All that call. What does call mean? I don't know. Abide means connected to, changed by. Faith means to see and obey. Uh, Shema here means to perceive and respond. So what does call mean? Well, Paul began, Peter rather, began his sermon in Acts with that verse. But if I just stopped at my first opening scripture, you wouldn't know the sermon yet, right? So he began to preach the whole sermon. He held the keys to the kingdom. He said, call upon his name and you'll be saved. He preached about Jesus, who he was, why he died. And at the end, they said, what can we do? Basically, how do we repent? How do we fix this? And he said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost and the promise is unto you and to your children and all that are far off not for the Jews one time not for the Gentiles one time for all of you he said here's how you call you gotta get in the water you're calling upon his name when you get in the water and when you get his spirit you're calling upon his name because unless you have the spirit of Christ you're none of his when you get born again you call on his name 
See, our English, is so, it messes us up. It's just vaporous. I just had to call. No, no, no. It was always action-oriented with the Bible. That's why you read the whole thing. People want a New Testament view only. The New Testament is standing on the shoulders of the Old Testament. It shapes how we view God. Mm. It was almost a soapbox I almost got on, but I'm going to move on. There are people wanting to unhitch. That's the term, unhitch, from the Old Testament. Unhitch. Dear God Almighty, we're going to all burn if we unhitch from what God did through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Because here, O Israel, Lord, our God is one out the window. You can't understand the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit if you don't walk with him through the Old Testament. That's why we're all confused. Walk with him a while. See what he shows you, and then you'll see him right. Unless a man be born again of the water and the spirit, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Born again, born, birthed, you know somebody, you knew Jesus and it changed you, birth. Unless you're born again. uh, Philip was preaching to the Samaritans and they had got baptized in Jesus' name. It says that. But the Holy Ghost, but the Bible expresses concern here. But the Holy Ghost had not yet come upon them. Like, oh no. Like, this isn't just an extra something, something. But the Holy Ghost had not yet come upon them. So Philip sends out for the big guns, Peter and John. They lay hands on them. And they get the Holy Ghost. Let me ask you this. If, if, if getting the Spirit is just acknowledging, if faith is just saying, God, there you are, be with me. If that was the case, how could they not get out of the water and then say, God, I see you. I'm saved. If getting the Holy Ghost was just acknowledging him and asking him, why was there a gap? Why couldn't they do it? It said they didn't ask for it. It said it hadn't fallen upon them as if something outside of them came one day to begin to know them and change them as if it's an experience beyond them. If that's all it was, nobody in their right mind would wait and say, well, you know, I'm just not going to talk to him yet. Why? It's so easy. Because that's not how you know. That is not how you know. They begin to lay hands on them. Why do I have to lay hands on somebody to make them say, Jesus, I love you? Why? Unless something beyond us is working through intercessory prayer. They laid hands on them, and they got the Holy Ghost. It does not say they spoke in tongues. Oh, your theology falls apart. They did speak in tongues. Spoiler alert. You know what I know? Because Simon the sorcerer said, when he saw Peter lay hands on them, he said, can I buy that kind of power? A sorcerer that was used to confounding people, profounding people. Why would he want to buy the power to make somebody say, Jesus, I love you? Listen, I love what you got. But why would a sorcerer want to buy a power to make somebody say, God, come into my heart? He saw something different. He saw something powerful. He saw something profound. And he said, you know something I don't know. You know something I don't know. Peter preached to the Gentiles. He didn't even get to explain how to get the Holy Ghost. There's no like, repent, lift your hand. He, that, he didn't even have a chance. He's preaching about Jesus. And it said that they begin to hear them speak in other tongues. And Peter said, if they got the Holy Ghost like we did in the beginning, then we got to baptize them because you can't just get the Holy Ghost. You got to be baptized to know. But how did he know that they knew? It said because he heard. He heard a sound. He heard a change. He heard a transformation that Peter said, you know now. You're, you, you know now. Let me baptize you because now you know. You know God now. You had belief, but now you know. Now you know. Now you know. I say all this, say this. When we are reaching for salvation, 
we believe in faith and works. We believe in abiding, see and, and respond to. But when, me included, when we become saved, we switch faith from seeing and obeying to just seeing. Because we think there's nothing left to do. We, we pay our tithe, we come to church, but what more is there to do? We make faith an idea. We make God a concept, a standard, an ideologue, a frame of reference. But God stops living and breathing. We stop knowing God. We have lost belief in breakthroughs. We have lost belief in prayer clauses. We have lost the belief that all alone you'll begin to speak in their tongues. Listen, I'm going to preach 15 minutes. It's okay. I only do it once a month, so bear with me. Oh, man, man, man. I told my own people this. They asked how to be using the gifts of the Spirit, how to be used. I said, you will be used in the gifts of spirit in your prayer closet all along before you ever use it in church. I prophesied to myself. How would you know it was God? Because it echoed the word in a way that I couldn't explain. I began to prophesy. I began to speak gifts all alone before I ever shared anybody else. If you go take your piano and you go practice and you go sing as if people were there, you step out of faith and prophecy and an anointing you've never seen will come upon you. And then when you get out here, it's not the first time I, you go teach a Bible study by yourself. Teach it by yourself. Open up your Bible and teach it by yourself and pray like somebody's there. Exercise the gift until you have to use it. Because if you know when you need to know, then you will know. If you know when you need to know, then you will know. Whew. Paul said, those that were learning but never come to the knowledge. And we're like, okay, those are unsaved people. Get it. No, that's us sometimes. Because then he gets really personal. He says, those that have the appearance of godliness but deny the power they're in. Wait a second. Is Paul telling me that godliness has an appearance? I thought godliness was a concept that was beyond me, that no mortal flesh could imitate. I thought to Im imagine God's godliness, or like the world likes to call it, his wholeness, that I just look to him and believe in it. God Paul is saying that godliness is imitated by me. There's an appearance to godliness, what, not just beyond what I am on the inside. He said, I look around and I see the appearance, but I don't see the power. Right. You will never have the power unless you have the appearance. Ooh, I know it sounds so old-fashioned. But works is not earning, works is receiving. When you obey, you receive his nature. You don't earn his nature. You can't earn his nature. Obedience is a door that lets God walk through it. Your outward consecration is just a door. You're not earning it, but God walks through it. You're reflecting God. Godliness has an appearance. But who can have the appearance and lose the power? The world does not have the appearance, y'all. The Christian church as a whole does not have the appearance. We have the appearance. So Paul is saying, watch, in the end times, there will be those that have the appearance but lose the power. He's talking about us. Because we're the only ones that can have both and lose the power. How do you do that? It's like an immaculate fireplace that is large and built to house a great flame. And it's got gold embroidery and it's beautiful. And when you look at it, you know, you know, it used to know what it was like to fill everything. It used to know that it housed greatness. But when you look, you see a small flame. You know by how it lives that it used to know power and it used to know freedom and it used to know God. But now all it knows is this much power. You can see by our appearance that we've been built to know God. But when you see me pray, do I show 
you that I know? When you see me how I live, do I show you that I know? I know I dress like I know, but do I know? Do I have the power? Do I have the fire? I look good on the outside, but do I still have fire shut up in my bones? Do I still have fire shut up in my bones? Why don't you lift your hands right now? Jesus' name. Let us know, God. Let us know, God. Let us know. The the sons of Sceva were not baptized in Jesus' name. They tried to free a demon-possessed man. They walked up and said, come out of him in the name of Jesus, the one whom Paul preaches. Wait, notice the distance. The one whom Paul preaches. They didn't know Jesus. They knew of Jesus. They, they could say, that's Jesus, but they don't know him. And so he said, come out of him. And that demon-possessed man said, I don't know you, but I know Jesus and I know Paul. He beat them and stripped them and embarrassed them. What am I wrong? I thought whatever I ask with the name will be given to me. I thought that if I do everything with the name, it will happen. I thought he said baptize with the name. No, no, no. He said whatever you ask in my name. Baptize in my name. Live in my name. To pray with the name means that I just invoke the name. But to pray in the name means that I know the name. To pray in his name means that I'm not just throwing words at you. That I'm living like him, walking like him, and talking like him. There's a lot of people in our movement that invoke the name. But they don't bear the name. They invoke it. They pray with it. They shout about it. But you know there's not much left of Jesus in their life. Do we know the name? Are we in the name? Because just because you knew doesn't mean you know. Paul said, lest we neglect such a great salvation. Meaning that you can have it and say, nope. He said, lest we fall back. Meaning you can have it and say, nope. He said, if we neglect it, there's more to this. He said that God will sustain you as if you have to be sustained. He said that God, the word of God is power to those that are being saved. Not been saved. Being saved. Meaning it's progressive. Meaning just because I knew him doesn't mean I don't have to know him today. I knew him in power yesterday. Day, but today I gotta know him. Second Peter chapter one. I'm done teaching after this. I just, I'm just gonna lose my mind. Second Peter chapter one said that if you have these seven qualities and you are growing in them, you will use accurately the knowledge of God. How do you knowledge means you use it? He said, if you have these qualities and you're growing them, you will have the knowledge of God. And you will become divine partakers of his divine nature. If I have these and grow them, I will be like Jesus' divine nature. He's preaching to save people. Meaning that just because you got saved does not mean you have all his nature yet. He's saying you got to have these seven more things and grow with them and you will use the knowledge of God fully. He says, if you have these qualities, you grow in them, that you will never fall. Listen, I've never gotten that good at at it that I've never fallen. But it says that it can happen. And it says that every calling and election made sure. I thought that to be elected by God is a predeterminist statement that says that God forces me to do his will. There are religions that preach that when God elects me, it's done. I don't do anything. Peter said, if you don't grow in these qualities, you won't make his calling and his election sure. Meaning that God can say it about you, but you can break it down. That God can see it as a certainty, but my disobedience can mess up the foresight of God. 
Prophecy, when someone prophesies over you, doesn't mean that it's going to happen without you doing anything. It's just setting where God said you can be if you become. God speaks in certainties. This will happen. But God is just acting on faith that you will obey. You are the variable. Just because God, he said he elected all of us that are saved. He saw all of us. But that doesn't mean we're done. We have to fight for it. He saw who could be. That doesn't mean we know him. I've been to camps. People get props set over. And that 15-year-old kid's like, oh, yeah. Woo, I'm done. And they don't live right. They mess up. We have all felt the pain of someone that was prophesied to in public, and you see them later, it didn't happen. And we question God. No, God saw them. God elected them. God planned for them, but they had to know the qualities of God's nature. What is it? It's faith. He said, quality number one is faith. I want you to supplement or add to your faith virtue. Virtue means desire to be more or excellency. Then he said, I want you to take your faith. And I want you to reach and desire to knowledge or the word. And then you'll get self-control. Wait a second. I had faith, but I'm not free. I see God, but I don't feel free. It's because you got to get a hunger, and you got to go get a, get a hold of the word, and then you get self-control. You can't just say, I see you, God, and be done. you got to see him right and obey him right, and then you can live like him. Faith reaches for the word, and then I have self-control. Then it says I have steadfastness, which means I get to stay free. Whew, what a concept. I got free, and then I stay free. Then he says that you, after you get free and you stay free, you start having godliness. I had faith in God, and then I got hungry for God, and then I began to see God right and obey him right. Then I got free like God, and then I stayed free like God, and now I'm looking like God. And then it says you have brotherly love, which means that I can love people like God, but only after I see him right, reach for him right, know him right, and look like him right, then I can love like God, a God that is holy, a God that is not an idea, a God that is tangible, touchable, he can change you, he can form you. getting tired (laughs) I almost feel like I failed this sermon because I I was hitting it excuse my fatigue but yesterday I've been fighting with with horrible despair the last couple weeks I didn't tell anybody about it I don't know why horrible despair and I began to recount all the things I knew about God all the experiences, all the sermons I preached. And I felt guilty. I preached all these things. And I know these things, but why don't, why don't they help me right now? And I went and got my Bible. And I opened it up to 1 Corinthians. And he said in one verse, I will sustain you. I began to cry and speak in tongues in my kitchen. And this was not prayer time. This was like mid-afternoon video game time. And I began to feel God. I said, God, where were you? And he began to speak to me, it's amazing all that you knew about me, but that does not mean you don't have to know me today. All the sermons and all the words and all the scriptures are only as good as what you see today. You have to go back today. You've got to feel it today. Your eyes must feast upon this today. You knew him. It activates and it counts for something if you know him today. 
A marriage can have known love, but you can still be married without knowing love. It takes time and effort and communion to know love today. And God is saying, I know we, oh, I'm preaching an old sermon. I know you said I do back then, but you got to know me today. You got to love me today. You got to see me today. You got to talk to me today. You got to see my word today. Can we all stand? I'm getting out in the front. Here we go. I'm about to do the altar call. I'm going to begin to pray over you after I share this last word. And that's the last time I'm going to say this is the altar call. As I begin to pray, don't wait for me to say amen. Because there's no singing. So I'm going to keep praying. And I'm going to keep praying until something breaks. Because we, have, we are losing the belief that something happens now. Knowing. See, the, the lame man was dropped through the ceiling. And the word of God made manifest. Jesus said, you are healed. Get up and walk. Was he healed when the word said you're healed? Or was he healed when he dared to move his leg and step and get up and walk? I'm telling you, it doesn't matter what Jesus said to him. If he didn't try to know it, he'd have left on his lame bed. And there are pastors all across this nation right now screaming truth the whole service. Look, this is what we know. This is what we know. There's love and grace. And he's saying you can know this, but that doesn't mean you don't have to activate it. I have just let Jesus tell you all the things that you know. That does not mean you don't have to know them today. Your pew is your lame bed. I just put myself in a pigeonhole. Your pew is your lame bed. And I just shouted words at you like a maniac for 30 minutes. But it will not help you a lick unless you activate it. I'm not saying that this is the end-all, be-all. I'm saying why not start now and take it tomorrow. If you're, you think you're going to pray through tomorrow about it, no, you won't. Start now. Work's going to come. Life's going to come. If you don't break now, you won't break tomorrow. Lift your hands right now with me. God, let us know. You're speaking the word, but we don't know it yet. Let us move the lameness. Let us move the brokenness. Let us move the barrenness. Let us know you, God. Let us know you, God. I know the word, but I don't know the word. I know you're real, but let me know you're real. Let the spirit birth a breakthrough in my life. Let me know you. I got promises. Doesn't mean I know you. I got verses. Doesn't mean I know you. I see you right. Doesn't mean I know you right. Burn something within us, God. Burn something within us, God. Let us know you, God. I know, but let me know. I see it written, but let me know. Let my heart know it. I see it testified, but let my mind know it. I see it written, but let me know it. Let me hide these words in my heart. Let them change my nature. Let me know you, God. Let me become like you, God. Let me abide with you, God.
call out to God right now. Let him know that we know. With your whole heart and your whole voice right now, let him know that you know. God, I know something's changing. Something's being birthed. I know. I know that it's real. I know that there are gifts. I know that your power moves. I know. I never doubted it. I believed it, but now I would know it. That is the sound of knowing. That is the cry of the soul. That is the sound of labor and life. That is the sound of knowledge.
There was one witness. There's another witness. Two tongues doesn't mean that we missed it. There's still interpretation right out here. Let there be two or three witnesses. You still have your moment. Let me, let me clarify something. Brother Tyler just came to me and said that he has a word, but he's not, he doesn't think it's the interpretation. He, God did give him the interpretation. But we, his words were few. And so we have a sometimes hard time believing. When someone gives a tongue this long, and our interpretation is this long, that it can't be right. Listen, God spoke in Hebrew, y'all. Our sentences will not mess up, match up always. So I want your faith to grow I want Brother Tyler to come. I want him to give this interpretation because I do believe it was the interpretation. I want you to realize that God can speak in a tongue to somebody in four paragraphs, but he can give you one word in your mind and his power be cut loose. Stop judging God. The w- Stop shaping God with your imagination and let his word shape how you view God. Thus saith the word of the Lord. The promise has come Will you make the election sure? You were not ready before. I had to shape you. I had to work through you to get you where you needed to be to do the work that I needed you to do. The word was given. Will you make the election sure? You have been called. You have been chosen. Will you make it sure? Be the people I have called you to be. Right now, know it. One more time, lift your hands and know it. Just know it. If you wonder why God uses the same people over and over again for certain gifts, it's not that we're forcing it to happen. God keeps going back to whoever is willing. Do you realize that he could give the word, and you could be the witness that gave the word, and you could say the same thing but with different words? Some of you had that word too. I don't believe that God just says, just, some of you had that word because you have that gift as well. But yet, you said the same thing but in different words, and you think that must not be God. God's spirit is speaking and moving through your mind and your experiences and your vocabulary. It doesn't have to be as long as his or as short as his. There were more than just one person that had the word. It said, let there be two and three witnesses. We have lost the art of witnessing. We feel lucky enough if one person does it and one person interprets it. But when God and faith match up together, you will feel it and you will say it. He will say it and feel it. We will be witnesses testifying about it.
So the next time this happens and you go, I was going to say the same thing but a different way. Maybe I'm just, it's emotion. You better cling to that. You better validate it with your prayer life. Listen, if you're living wrong, then you search your heart. But if you know I'm reaching for God and his words in me, then you don't question it. Don't question the words he gave you. They may be beautiful. They may be fragmented. But God's spirit wants to speak a word through you. Two or three witnesses. I was going to dismiss, but if you want to say something. I want us to lift our hands all across the sanctuary one more time. And I want you to thank him for the gospel, the gospel of good news. Thank him for his word right now. Because with his word is clarity, and with his word is truth. And where there's truth, there's freedom. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. It shall set you free. There's freedom in the word of the Lord, amen, that we heard here today. Let me tell you, there is power in the simplicity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me say it again. There is real power. It's the only power. It's the saving power that we find in the simplicity of preaching truth. Amen. Amen. So, over the last few weeks, we've been preaching truth. We've been preaching salvation. We, on Wednesday nights, we've been talking about faith. And tonight, or today, Brother Merritt preached on faith and the simplicity of the gospel. We're, we're going to be um, going back to our foundations and preaching and talking about it's the saving gospel. Amen. 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 It's the only way that we can be saved. And when we preach the gospel, amen. How are they going to know the gospel if it's not preached? Amen. How are people going to know the gospel or what to do if it's not presented? And when you start preaching the gospel and preaching truth, things begin to happen. Amen? And that's what we feel in this place today. It's the power of the gospel of truth being preached. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Merritt. I, I was going to introduce him today, and, uh, but he likes it better where he's able to take the mic and come up here and uh, just start, start preaching. Um, I leaned over to... Brother Russell during the service when Brother Brother Griffiths was preaching and was preaching about truth and faith and Acts 2.38 and I told Brother Russell, I said, I'm so grateful that he believes every word of it. Lots of pastors that can't stand in their pulpit today and say their children believe it just or as strong as they I'm thankful today. I'm thankful for it. I looked over today on the first couple rows, saw all of our young men, all of our young ladies down here at the front. It just gave me such a breath of fresh air to see all them down here and worshiping and on, on those rows. It looked so, so good. I'm, I'm glad and I'm thankful that y'all believe it too. Amen. I'm thankful today. Amen. For our young people, our hyphen, amen, and our students, amen, that they hear this on Wednesday night. This is what they're getting on Wednesday nights. Now, don't you start going down there. You're staying up here with me. Don't let me, don't let me go down there and see you with a cup of coffee in your hand and a donut because that's what they're doing down there. Amen. You better be up here with me. Amen. 
But uh, thank you, Brother Merritt, and thank you for believing it. Amen. And uh, I think the next generation is in good hands, is it not? Amen. I love you. I appreciate you. We're going to come together Wednesday. Have a great time um, in our Light for Living Bible study. Amen. And next Sunday, Mother's Day, we have a lot of great things planned. Amen. Have a great, great week in the Lord. God bless you. We love you. We appreciate you. You're awesome. And again, thank you to all the men that have been helping us over the last couple of weeks.